0: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America, NA, member FDSE. And she started asking me where I was from, and you know, yeah. I don't, I don't, really, I don't really want to entertain her because, like, the fuck, you know. <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know, I said, you know, let's let's make a game out of this. I said, where do you where do you think I'm from? Mm-hmm. And she said, Japan. I said, Oh no, that's not right. Yeah, And then she said, China. And I said, well, yes, but that's obvious, isn't it? That's rather easy. And I think kind of playing that game with her was a way of reexerting control over the situation. Mm-hmm. Like, mm-hmm. oh, you want to play the Asian guessing game? Let's play the Asian guessing game. My name is Ryan Joe, and I'm a model minority.
1: Welcome to Model Minorities. This is a show about work and life, told through the lens of what makes each of us different. I'm Sharon Lee Tony, a Chinese-American girl born and raised in New York City.
2: And I'm Raman Segal, an Indian-American boy who came from Alabama with a banjo on my knee.
1: Through conversations with some really interesting people, we uncover the stories, perspectives, and often unspoken truths about how our guests uniquely experience the world.
2: Basically what we're all thinking about, but probably not talking enough
1: about. Whether you're black, white, brown, yellow, gay, straight, boy, girl, or anything in between.
2: This is a show about all of you for all of us. On today's show, we are speaking with Ryan Joe. Ryan is a notorious, infamous advertising technology reporter, and he happens to be my fellow podcast host on my other secret podcast, Quarantined Comics.
1: Ugh, I am so jealous. Why is it that my podcast host, co-host... Is podcast co hosting for three podcasts
2: (laughs) because I'm trying to get my wife to divorce me. I feel like I'm in a
1: bad episode of Big Love, the podcast version.
2: (laughs) No, you guys are my podcast siblings, and I love all three of you in a very different, platonic way.
1: Yeah, that's what all the players say, Ryan, Robin. That's what all the players say.
2: Sharon, (laughs) you and I are solving racism. Quarantine Comics is him and I nerding out on comics, which is actually. Kind of how I met the guy, you know, years ago, Ryan and I were at an industry at the same industry conference where like the entire entirety of like New York city and London descends upon the South of France. And I was there for the startup I was at, and there happened to be an Uber strike and ran into him at an industry event. And he was a reporter working the room. And found out he was from New York and had a hookup on a car to the airport <laughs> <laughs> because we're on the same flight back to JFK. And, you know, that, literally, that's what we did. We met at that thing. I was like, all right, cool. Here's my number. And we shared the car back to the airport, started comparing notes. And, you know, we're stuck at the airport for a while. And, you know, after talking work for like five minutes, we just started geeking out on comic books. And every lunch over Bon me or coffee in New York City, you know, whether it's how to do a Fantastic Four movie right or... Actually, the one debate I remember, I don't know if it made it on this podcast, but it's relevant, it hasn't made it on a podcast, is the Marvel movie Doctor Strange came out. And he was so mad that the ancient one, Doctor Strange's mentor, was cast as a white woman when it was an obviously Chinese character. And we had other arguments about Iron Fist being the classic like white savior kind of character. And I always knew this guy has a, a point of view. And even though we were already working on the secret comic book podcast, as we were ramping for model minority, I wanted to talk to him because I knew a lot about his, about his points of view, but I didn't know enough about him and his background. And this kind of gave me the excuse to, to have that conversation with him.
1: Oh, <laughs> like the, the, the lifetime friendship and how that bloomed. <laughs> <laughs> I liked the guy. Well, first, I love his name, Ryan Joe, like two first names. Totally awesome. Secondly, I think one of the first things we asked him was tell us a story from your childhood. And he tells us the story about his brother, how his brother almost drowned in the pool. Yeah, he
2: went dark. He always starts dark. I'm like, okay, it's
1: nice to meet you. (laughs) He was great, though. It it lightened up towards the end. (laughs) Did it? I, you know, I. I don't know. Actually, I'm trying to think. I'm like, mm, I'm not sure if we ever act. I think he kind of took us on this roller coaster. Kind of, it had it had some high points and it had some pretty low points.
2: Well, you already you already heard in the teaser for this episode, like the elevator story. But it's not just the darkness; it's the ridiculousness and the absurdity of life that Ryan likes to just observe. Yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah. He's pretty good about that, and he's he's also like I mean, just the ridiculousness and the absurdness of his of his background too. We're like, so one of the one of the cool things about him is he grew up on a walnut orchard. Who and does that? I know, like I didn't even know that that was a thing. Like I didn't even know you could live on a walnut orchard. <laughs>
2: <laughs> and but again, we got really serious towards the end of the interview. Our famous last question, which if you've listened to this podcast by now, you know it's not just about your mom's food. He was one of the first people to call to question the premise of our podcast. And I don't need to agree with all of our guests. In fact, yeah. I, I welcome a debate and a discussion because that's part of what the show is about. So get ready for a really weird and wild ride with our friend Ryan. All right. Today we're talking to our friend Ryan. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thanks, Thanks for being for here, having Ryan. Me. Thank you, thank you. So as you know, these are kind of conversations about work and life. And you know, people who might know you as the famous reporter maybe (laughs) don't know yeah, right? You are so
1: famous. You're so famous. We're very lucky to have you on.
2: (laughs) I haven't had a buy in like a year.
1: (laughs) Doesn't matter. If you have a blog, that's all that matters.
2: (laughs) I don't have a blog. I have an old Tumblr
0: (laughs)
1: somewhere. There you go.
2: (laughs) You know, Ryan, everyone's talking about that amazing comic book podcast that you're doing that's just like breaking the airwaves right now. Oh my God, yeah. (laughs) Fun fact, Ryan and I are working on another podcast that's even nerdier than this one. Ryan, we we go back a few years, but I know a little bit about you growing up. But tell me a little Ryan story that you've never told anybody from growing up. That I've never told anybody
0: growing up. Okay, so this is actually when we lived out in the suburbs. So, I you know, from when I was born to when I was ten, we lived in the suburbs, and then from when I was ten to when I went to college, we lived in a walnut orchard. So, when I was when we were living in the suburbs, we had a swimming pool out back. I was oh, I can't remember how old I was. Maybe about six. My brother was about was about four. He's two years younger than me. And there was a pool, and we were playing in the shallow end of the pool, and on the steps of the pool, really, and a ball, kind of when, you know, my brother's playing with a ball and the ball kind of went out, drifted into the deeper into the pool. And my brother swam after it, but he couldn't swim. And he went under and started going, you know, drowning and essentially, and I thought he was, you know, I was young. I thought he was joking. I thought this was like, you know, like he was playing around. So I pointed and started laughing. And then my dad, you know, ran out the screen door and pulled my brother from the pool. And he told me what was really happening. And I felt so bad because I could have killed him, you know, by not doing anything. But I didn't know. I didn't know what drowning looked like. I thought it was like a a joke or a trick that he was playing. So that's a <laughs> kind of a dark little story.
1: That's very heavy. That's a very heavy thing to start with today. <laughs> yeah,
0: <I know. laughs> I'm sorry. I was thinking of something light. That was like the first but, thing that came to mind. Yes, I think it was sort of defining to me, though, because I mean, I was literally watching my brother drown and laughing about it because I didn't know what it was.
1: Yeah, that's okay, though. I mean, he ended up he's okay. Fine. He, he, can, yeah, he can swim now, right? So oh, yeah, he got over it, too. Okay. Yeah, he got over. Okay. Too.
2: Look, Ryan, I just want to jump in with this. This is so fun about you. You have a very interesting personality, but like ahead of the podcast, we like to ask our guests for, you know, some fun facts. And your fun fact was I grew up on a walnut orchard in central California. <laughs> and then you led with the, <laughs> the story of the the pool.
1: Right. He did he did mention the walnut orchard briefly as he started to tell that story though. So I do give you props for that, Ryan.
2: Yeah, I'm just try to tie <laughs> things together. So you're. What are you? When people say, "Where are you from?" What do you say? California, usually.
1: But where are you? Where are you really from?
2: Yeah, yeah.
0: you know the the people who usually ask that are usually other minorities. You know, they're usually other Asians. So I usually just say I'm Chinese American. There was a white woman, and I was taking the elevator up to work, and. When I got into the elevator, she looked at me and started going,
2: hi, hi,
0: hi. And I'm just like, oh, she's crazy. Great. Oh, my God. But she was so enthusiastic about it. It wasn't malicious. I think she was just, that was just, you know, her deformed way of thinking. And she started asking me where I was from. And, you know, I didn't really want to entertain her because, like, the fuck, you know. (laughs) (laughs) But, you know, I said let's make a game out of this. I said, where do you, where do you think I'm from? Mm-hmm. And she said, Japan. I said, oh, no, that's not right. Yeah. And then she said, China. And I said, well, yes, but that's obvious, isn't it? That's rather easy. Where in China do you think I'm from? And so I tried to, I tried to see, you know just kind of, I don't know, string her along that way until it was time. And basically, and then it was her stop. And then she had to, she had to get off. And I said, oh, I'm sorry, you just don't know. And that was kind of it. I don't know. It was a way of kind of like, it was hard to be offended because she was completely, you know, it's like when somebody's crazy, yells at you. You're like, all right, well, you're crazy. So, you know, you've got to deal with that. But at the same time, you know, it is a little bit shocking when that happens. And I think kind of playing that game with her was a way of reexerting control over the situation.
2: Like, oh, you want to play the Asian guessing game? Let's play the Asian guessing game. Right Have you either of you guys experienced this? So I used to always experience this in airports traveling around the country and even the world, and now in New York, you know, where all of us work in the city when there's not a pandemic, walking on the streets, I see this even more. So I'm Indian, old Indian lady in a sari, right? Like mm-hmm. either fresh off the boat or visiting her nephew and walking around the city by herself or the airport by herself. comes up to me in a big crowd because she sees a nice little brown boy. Or now brown adult, I guess, and starts speaking to me in Hindi or Punjabi or Telugu. And I don't speak any of those things. I right. speak enough kitchen. Mm-hmm. Hindi, and she's literally trying to ask for directions yep. or something, or she just needs someone to talk to. And she sees this brown guy in a sea of non-brown people. It's like your elevator thing. I didn't play the game because I'm trying to be auntie, let me help you, but I don't speak Hindi. I'm so yeah. sorry. I'm yeah, a that bad happens, person. That
1: happens to me a lot. It's always, yeah, the usually it's an older. Chinese, you know, grandma or grandpa who comes up to me to ask for directions. And my...
2: Oh, it's never a man. It's never a man.
1: That's interesting. Yeah, Yeah, that's actually interesting. It's It's
2: always the women. hmm.
1: Yeah, I've had old men approach me. but But same with you, like, my Chinese isn't really that great. So, you know, I can kind of say, go left or go right or walk two blocks like that. But that's as far as I can go. And then if they have like another question, I'm just like, I don't know. But... I think that's kind of normal. I mean, yeah. when you're, you know, right? What do you think, Ryan?
0: I wouldn't play, you know, like the Asian guessing game with in that circumstance. She, you know, she's just asking for directions and she's looking for a familiar face because she doesn't speak the language. That's different to me. That's, you know, I'll do my best to help. I can't because I don't speak The language, unfortunately, but I don't. You know, when that happens, I don't really take. I don't take offense. I, you know, I understand. You know, you need help. You see me. You kind of relate to me because of our similar appearance, and so that's why you're asking me for help. Right.
1: So you don't speak Chinese, but I hear you're learning Korean. Is that true?
0: Yeah, my partner's Korean, and so I'm. You know, I'm learning it. You know, it's it's interesting. I I hear her speak to write love songs,
1: to sing her some love songs. songs.
0: Yeah, to sing her.
2: She's writing a love Sonic. Like a K-pop band.
0: Yeah. <laughs> Going to be the new BTS. I, yep, I can see that. Yeah, it could happen. Wait, is,
2: does BTS stand for, I mean, I know they're like the thing, but does that actually stand for behind the scenes or does that mean something else?
0: That is not a question I can answer. I know of BTS. I know of their existence. I know of their fervid fan following, but I don't know... Much else about that. But I, di- I did see them recently at the Instagram offices. I was going there for like just to do a meet and greet with one of the PR people there, as reporters do. And, you know, this group of Korean dudes walked past and I kind of just looked at them. I only saw the backs of their heads. And again, I don't really recognize the K pop groups that well, but I just kind of said, is that BTS? Because I figured that's the only Korean boy band that I really know of. And they said, yeah, that was BTS. I'm like, oh, okay.
2: It would have been funny if they were like, oh, that's so racist. You think all Korean boy bands (laughs) are (laughs) deep? Yeah.
0: I texted Sophie and she was just like, oh my God. You know, so she was really excited about that. So that was my close encounter with BTS. I saw the backs of their heads at the Instagram office.
1: Still, that's pretty close. That's a good encounter.
0: I wish I should have. I should have just like plucked some of their hair and then sold it on eBay that would have helped me weather this economic downturn if I had only known.
1: Ryan, you're fun. So you grew up in a walnut orchard in California. There was a house there, so it's not yeah. like I grew up in the field raised by coyotes. Oh, that's good. Yeah. That's that's really that's comforting to know. Was the neighborhood pretty diverse? I mean, there was no I... it
0: was no neighborhood. It was sort of like, it was like it was it was like an <laughs> was the orchard
1: heads? diverse?
0: <laughs> Actually, yeah, the orchard was diverse. There were just walnut trees, but I will say they were hybrid walnut trees or mixed race. Walnut trees. If I may be so bold, I think the rootstocks were from a walnut called Paradox, and then the fruiting part was from a walnut called the Chandler. I might have that backwards. Paradox rootstocks being hardier against pests; Chandler being actual fruiting walnuts or edible walnuts. So they were hybrid walnuts. So yeah, there was some there was some diversity there. Just it was sort of like you know being in a in a room where everyone's like a, a hapa.
2: Right. <laughs> Now, how do your parents get, you know, to a walnut orchard? Like, did they just come off the boat and be like, we want to grow walnuts? Like, how does that work? Well, my mom came off the boat when she was five and my dad never
0: came off the boat. He was born in Los Angeles. So they always kind of, I think, wanted to move
2: away from people. So when were they born? When was your dad born? Roughly. 1951. My mom was born in 1952. Okay. And so wait, your dad's parents then, they came over then? His mom was born in San Francisco. His dad came over. His dad was an FOB. I got to ask, because, well, hey, I don't don't know a lot of Asian Americans that are somewhat third generation, right? And I got to ask, like, did your grandparents have any stuff in California during the 40s?
0: So, okay, so my grandmother was... I don't know what my grand, my paternal grandfather, when I say grandma and grandpa, I'm talking to the, about the paternal side right now. My grandmother never really talked about that. I would always try to ask, but she was very much like, try to keep things
2: positive. So, Sharon, do you know what I'm asking about? No. Uh, okay. 40s, California, yeah. Asian people, Pearl Harbor just got bombed, yeah. internment camps. That's yeah. what I'm asking about. So,
0: so, my grandmother said she had to wear a badge that said she was Chinese, not Japanese. I asked about that. And she said, she kept saying, Oh, I don't hold a grudge. That's fine. You know, I I always like look forward. And and it's just like, I want to know about this shit, because it's interesting, you know, but I couldn't extract it from her. This is probably I was a teenager. So I never really got that information from her. I do know that she insisted that they don't speak Chinese. To the kids. Remember, my, my grandfather was from China, so I've never actually heard him speak Chinese. I only ever heard him speak English. We have two theories on why that was. Theory number one is that she wanted to blend in. It was all about assimilation, right? At that point, you know, just 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 be as American as possible. Don't you know? My don't, parents don't did the same things. thing. Yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Other theory, and you know, both could be true, is that my grandfather came from a village in China. I think they Lung Du or somewhere like that. And it's not really cosmopolitan. And he spoke with a peasant dialect that embarrassed her. I think both are actually true. There was some snobbery in it and also the, the need to assimilate. That was why. And that, that, that's one of the reasons why I don't speak Chinese. My dad didn't speak it. My mom came here when she was five. She spoke only Cantonese because she was from Hong Kong. And then we moved. Well, I was born in Central California, right? So there's not a big Chinese community in Central California. I mean, they're there but it's not like San Francisco. They have their own orchards, yeah. New York, yeah, they have their own orchards. Actually, we were the only Chinese people who had an orchard. So why? How did that happen? How did they get to the orchard? Yeah. I think they wanted a bigger place. You know, it was sort of like back when people were actually able to afford houses, right? You'd buy the starter home, which my parents had when they were just a couple. And then when they had me and my brother, they bought a slightly bigger home in the suburbs, in a new suburb at the time. And then as my brother and I headed into adolescence, they got an even bigger home way out in the country. And it was a huge house on a 10-acre property. So I think that was kind of like their dream home, you know, where they could kind of raise the kids and not worry about the kids tearing shit up as they got older. Just drowning each other. Just drowning each other. Well, my brother and I had a volatile relationship for a while. You know, I mean, I was yeah, it's two-year difference, right? So, eventually, one day, my mom was just got fed up with us. She bought us boxing gloves and said, hey, just go outside and beat each other up. <laughs> Sharon, <laughs> you should do that for your boys. That's
1: a good idea. A little parenting tip, huh?
0: <laughs> we never really did. We would just kind of like... But we would kind of like bump fists. It was kind of fun, actually. And it would wear us out, you know? So Who would really win? Who would win? I would. I was bigger than Eric. I was two years older. So, you know, up until really your early teens, there's a size advantage.
1: Yeah. So fast forward to adult life how are you different from the kid that you were growing up
0: well this is going to suck but i'm more aware of my limitations it felt like when i was a kid that i could kind of do anything and process anything and i could be multiple things and now i'm just kind of wary of now it feels like if i learn something new i have to throw something out you know it feels like there's this limitation in your in your mental capacity yeah which i wasn't aware of certainly when i was in my when I was a teenager. I think also part of it is that when you're a teenager or when you're a kid, you learn something, you know how it is when you learn something new, you know, you take your first psychology course and suddenly you're an expert in psychology. But the more you dig into it, the more you realize how little you actually know. So I think kind of as I learn more about certain things, I realized that I actually know very little about it and there's so much more to learn. And that can be kind of an overwhelming realization.
1: Mm Mm-hmm. And when you were growing up, what did you want to be? And what did you end up? Well, now you're a journalist. But what did you want to be when you were growing up?
0: Early, early on, I wanted to be an astronaut, you know, when you're a little when you're a kid. And then I wanted to be a policeman, you know, because like, that's when the only professions are doctor, fireman, policeman, astronaut. So of those four, those were the two I kind of settled on. And then I thought, I'll be a comic book artist or a comic book writer. And then I thought I want to be a film director. And then eventually I thought I really want to be reporting on the advertising technology. And that was when I was 15. I'm kidding about that, by the
2: way. random. But no, the artistry part, like <laughs> being an artist, how did your parents react to that? Because my, my dad, he's an architect, was not cool with that idea.
0: Yeah, I don't think my, my parents were pretty good at just letting me do whatever I wanted to, to do. They gave me a lot of freedom. Actually, my mom once said, I wish I had been more of a tiger mom. And it was like, I think we would have had a much more contentious relationship if you were a tiger mom. Hmm.
1: Yeah. I mean, she got you boxing gloves instead, right? Yeah, she but, got me
0: boxing gloves yeah. instead. But yeah, I mean, what, mm-hmm. what would I... Okay, so what, what's the ideal tiger mom job? A doctor or a lawyer? Lawyer, being a lawyer, not really what it used to be, right? My partner works as a paralegal. and She's noticed like all of the women... Who are partners at the law firm where she works? they're all divorced, and everyone just keeps like really, really like you know sixty eighty hour work weeks, plus I mean just even getting to that position is insane. You know, my cousin actually went to law school and he never was able to get he passed the bar was never able to get a job as a lawyer because the market was what it was, nobody was hiring. So it's not like, you know, it looks when you're growing up like that's a, the path to riches, but and also you have to when it comes to lawyers, you can go to a small firm where you're really not making a lot of money or you can try to make it in big law where you have to grind through being an associate and then kind of work your way up and hopefully make partner where well, you have to continue to grind because you're responsible for bringing in revenue. So there's a quality of life thing there. And then as far as being a doctor is concerned, Actually there's times when I wish I had kind of gone down that path even though I suck at the sciences but I mean I guess right now I mean probably not a not a safe time to be a doctor no and then there's the fear of everyone being automated out you know that's the other fear right. what 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 law jobs will be automated out what medical jobs will be automated out I guess not the journalism is any safer but still.
1: And how did you end up writing about ad tech? Is it just because of kind of the sign of the times or did I, how did I that happen? About ad tech. That's a great question.
2: How, that's how I ask that myself sometimes. I ask myself that every day. Oh my god. <laughs> how did I end <laughs> up in ad?
0: It's just where you happen to fall into. I've always been like I need more security, right? I've always been one of those guys who need to, you know like there are the people who are just like I'm going to take a risk. I'm going to mortgage everything to make this business. Work And I'm not sure if it will, but I'm going to try. And I've always been sort of, I've always craved security and I'm also fundamentally a little bit lazy. So I kind of just go with the flow. So after I did grad school, I was in the writing program at Columbia. I was like, I need a writing job. So I got this job that paid me like $28,000 a year at a company called Speech Technology Magazine where they looked at all things related to speech technology.
1: Stayed Very exciting. there
0: for about, oh so yeah, it was about, and most of the, and you know, this is before, you know, all the, the voice recognition voice. It's actually more exciting now because you don't know what, you know, how Alexa is processing your stuff, what it's analyzing. But, you know, back then it was just contact centers, you know, speech recognition, and contact centers. It's just freaking about as exciting as it sounds. And then I I guess one of the people I would talk to a lot thought I asked really good questions, and I became an analyst for like three years or four years analyzing contact centers. That was, again, about as fun as it sounds. (laughs) (laughs) And then after that, I went to a publication called Direct Marketing News where a friend of mine was working, and then I just eventually became... The senior editor there, and then from there, Ad Exchanger was hiring. And that was, and I got into Ad Exchanger at a good time because it was, you know, programmatic was still kind of new. And there was a lot of optimism in the publishing world. Remember, there were those huge valuations around BuzzFeed and Vice. Right. And, yep. And mashable. And, and you know how that we you know how that turned out. But you know, there was a lot of enthusiasm around publishing. So this this young upstart publisher, and they were just kind of in spending and hiring mode. And it's great to be at a startup when it's in, you know, spendthrift mode, because you feel like you can do anything and the sky's the limit. And of course, eventually you have to become a business and show revenue and start pinching pennies, which makes sense. But it was a good time for me to go in. And honestly, AdExchanger has been a really great gig. I mean, we don't really lose a lot of people. I've been there for about, I think, seven years, maybe six. I've been there for a
2: while. And it's, you know, just a great work environment the people are great and you get to work from home so well so i know less about your industry i mean we're obviously both coming out of ad tech that's how we met right at an industry event and literally shared like a taxi cab during an uber strike but i guess i don't know about your industry as much in terms of being a reporter and i know the ad exchanger newsroom might look or the office or the company might look different than the new york times or whatever but I guess it's a diversity question. Like what does leadership? What do reporters look like? Is it pretty vanilla? Is it there's it's kind of the united colors of Benetton? Like what is the diversity in the reporting world? You know, I've just you know kind of being around
0: a lot of ad tech reporters, I know like they they all feel kind of like a quirky, diverse bunch. Ad exchanger, everyone is I will say i'm the I'm the only model minority. but unless do you count do you count jews? do do you consider people who are Jewish? minorities?
2: In or out of New York City. How about New Jersey? (laughs) (laughs) It's funny because you know, growing up in Alabama, I kind of knew Jewish people were a thing. I knew Hanukkah was a thing, but I didn't have any Jewish friends. And in high school, I met one Jewish girl. And I think she had a crush on me because she invited me to temple once. And that was interesting. But I didn't know any Jewish people. And then Cincinnati or Asia, no Jewish people, right? And then... I come to New York, and I'm like, bam! Oh my god! And I know so much, I know all the holidays. I know when the high holidays are, and how to pronounce stuff. Now, my wife's godmother is an old Jewish lady on the Upper West Side. But so, I don't know, Sharon. You asked. You're a New Yorker. Ryan's from California. It's how do you view Jewish people in New York?
1: I never really thought of them as the minority. It's funny because Jewish people will speak of themselves as the minority but in my eyes, they're, in, in society, they're, they're in New the Yorkers. They yeah. And there's so, I mean, I went to NYU and people call that NY Jew, you know, like there are so no. many, <laughs> so many Jews in New York. It's like, they're actually probably, I don't really know the, the census, but they feel like they're the majority here. So, and, and then it's also from a, maybe it's because it's a skin color or a hair color thing. Like I'm not good at telling. Exactly, who, like unless it's very obvious, <laughs>
3: how, white right? look, how white people look at like, that? What you're
1: no, but I'm just saying, like, unless they're like orthodox, or unless there's like something really telltale, like with the curliness of their hair or something. You know what I mean? Like, I'm not like, hey, that person's definitely European, and that other person's definitely, yeah, yeah. Jewish. It's what the trans community calls passing privilege. Yeah, passing privilege. Exactly.
2: The first startup I was at was based out of the Midwest, and very Midwestern demographically the second two startups I mean again it, it's and they were New York City based right so a higher incidence Jewish men and a higher incidence of I mean, even gay men right and that was as I, I'll quote Seinfeld and say not that there's anything wrong with that but it, I was like wow that's interesting because these are New York-based companies and yeah I don't know I don't know how they view themselves as a majority or minority Ryan back to your question I don't know in the world stage, persecuted minority by all means right yeah
1: agreed you know what we should interview a couple of them let's bring some let's bring some of our favorite jews onto the, the podcast <laughs>
2: our favorite our favorite jews yeah. <laughs> nothing wrong with that title
1: <laughs> <laughs> well
0: so three of my co-workers are jewish of the tribe and then almost all of the writers except for one are are women So, but, you know, in in other publications like Business Insider, you know, there's, you know, I think Tanya Dua is Indian American. So there's, you know, I never really felt like there's a lack of diversity in the ad tech reporting community and certainly not at at Ad Exchanger.
2: I had a friend from the Midwest come visit my wife and I a few years ago. And I took him into this. We live just outside of the city. And so I took him in to go see stuff. And the first thing he said at the end of the day about, I was like, how was your day? He's like, you know what? The diversity kind of punches you in the face in New York City. So it's like we're a little bubble. I feel like we
0: are. Yeah, I think I think like a lot of Midwesterners are shocked to see like black people and white people and Asian people mixing because I'm generalizing, I'm stereotyping Midwesterners and I apologize for that, but not really, you know, whereas, you know, because like in most communities, you know, there's, you know, the white people are in one part of town, the black people in another part of town. And here, you know, everyone's shake, you know, everyone just kind of goes into that giant can that is a subway pre-pandemic times of course. And it's really just kind of, you know, the subway is just kind of that microcosm of New York where you have people of all socioeconomic groups, all races just mm-hmm. kind of There's against only one each way to other. get around. And everyone yeah. hates each other equally. Everyone's just pissed off with each other equally. There's occasionally those race there are those racial incidents of course, but generally speaking everyone has the same dour face while they're yeah. riding the subway.
1: I think that's going to change. When we ever get back on the subway again in three months or six months or 10 years or whenever, whenever this passes, I feel like that'll change. You think change we're all going how? to be so
2: happy to see each other? Yeah.
1: Yeah. I would like to think that this pandemic has made us realize how much in common we have.
2: I think
0: maybe not for the Asians though. I, I do feel, you know, I actually have not, well, Sharon, have you had any incidents where I you did. know people have, what happened?
1: I was out of town over the weekend in Scranton, Pennsylvania. And Say I was why? Walking. Explain. Explain why? Explain. Oh, please! It's such thing. a long story, but essentially, I tried to leave New York and ended up coming back. <laughs> that's a long, short story. Oh God! But I was walking down a hallway with my husband, who's black. So I'm Chinese American. My husband's black, and there was an older couple walking down the other side of the hallway with their dog. And we were in a hotel, and we were both walking towards the elevator. And the minute the woman saw me, she froze. She literally froze. I had never seen anything like that before. And I was like, like it took me a minute, like a couple seconds to connect the fact that she froze because she saw someone of Chinese descent and thought that I was carrying the virus and therefore she couldn't come any closer to me. And so I kept walking. She just stopped in her tracks. We turned the corner to get to the elevator bank area, waited for the elevator. And she was kind of like, keeping her her major distance. I mean it was more than just six feet, but she was like watching us from afar and then watched us go into the elevator. We ran into them again in the lobby when their elevator came down and she looked at me with genuine fear, as if, you know, she got too close, she would be under some kind of harm. And it was it was a new experience for me because even though I've experienced racism in different types of ways, it was never as passively I mean it was pretty passive aggressive and it just wasn't as pointed. At that moment, and I've talked a lot to my husband about it. Who's you know black male, and he's like, "Welcome to my world." You know, like literally, he he encounters that all the time walking down the street of people just freezing in their tracks because they're afraid to go any closer to him. But it was it was definitely an eye opening moment for me.
0: You should have ordered a beer, put the beer foam in your mouth, and then just kind of like started walking up to her, like <laughs> a zombie foam and get the mouth be like, I can't
3: buy that.
2: like speaking in like <laughs> no speaking the Chinese you know, just like. No, but you Ryan, It's funny. You talk about running at the problem. So post 911, 01, I'm in college and I'm a brown guy in Alabama and I had a beard at the time, you know? And then again, you know, war on terror, like 01, there's kind of, and there still is kind of like Muslimophobia. And I'm, I was raised Hindu. I'm not even Muslim, but they all look alike. Right. And I kept the beard for a few years off and on. Now today I off and on keep it just out of laziness, but traveling the world, traveling the country for work, You'd feel looks and distance. And what I did to run into that or run straight at the problem was I turned on my flirtatious, friendly personality. I don't like to smile. I force a smile. You've kind of seen that in at play in some interviews, Sharon, right? Mm, like, yeah. When I'm walking down the street, I smile. When I'm in airports, I'm the friendliest guy to every TSA person. You know, I'm extra nerdy wearing my Fantastic Four t-shirt or whatever, right? Which, by the way, don't wear a Fantastic Four t-shirt in China. They don't like a shirt with a number four on it. Wait, why?
1: Because the number four is the same word as the word death. Uh, four is oh, a yeah. bad luck oh. number.
2: So I, I bought that shirt at New York Comic Con when I moved to New York. A few years later I go to rural China with my wife's family. Oh like, no. Really, oh jeez. Yeah, favorites son <laughs> But no, anyway, point is, <laughs> but like I lean into it. Like and I bet your husband has to do that too. Like be the extra friendly black guy. Like yeah, yeah I'm the friendly brown bearded yeah. guy. Even yep. though I don't wanna be. He's I got it. I wanna yell wears, at people like someone from New York.
1: He wears a full on suit when we travel. When we've gotten pulled over like in a car for any reason, he is like he is straight, straight by the book, you know, the most textbook, vanilla, safe. He's an artful. He plays Urkel. Yeah. Yeah. So,
2: it's... Ryan, what about you? Like, have you had any, like, especially more now than ever, New York City, Chinese guy, Korean girlfriend?
0: I'm more cognizant of it. And I just keep playing through my mind what will happen if I encounter Something I have been fortunate enough not to. I've, you know, read the articles. There's one that ran in I think the New York Times recently about the prejudice Asian Americans are feeling. <laughs> there was a writer, a professor I had at Columbia named Ed Park. He's a Korean writer. And he had an incident where, you know, somebody just yelled, Stay the fuck away from me. This is a few weeks ago. And he was shocked by that because the person who yelled it was, you know, very well-dressed. He wrote about that incident actually in The New Yorker. But I've been fortunate enough not to have any direct conflicts like that recently related to the coronavirus. A large part of that has to do with me not leaving the
2: house. So... <laughs> <laughs> How to solve racism? Quarantine
1: everybody. Right. Just don't leave the house.
0: Yeah. And then, the only, I mean, the only time I leave the house, I try to run... Daily, but it's hard to be racist when somebody is or notice racism when you are running away from everybody. So again, so I think I've been been lucky. And the other thing is, I kind of eye everybody sideways nowadays because I don't know what's going to come out of their mouth, whether it's racial epithets or coronavirus or you know nothing, you know. So, but I think that's just the world we live in right now, right? We're just kind of hyper aware of any of any stranger who's around us.
1: I feel like we need to talk about something uplifting now. Can we talk about your relationship? Was that something happy and uplifting?
0: Yeah, that's totally fine.
1: So tell us about Sophie and your relationship and how the Chinese-Korean thing works or whether or not that was at all a factor for how you... Either how your family's reacted to you dating or if it's just a thing.
0: Yeah. I mean, I'm 37. Mm-hmm. You stop remembering how old you are, I think, after you hit 30. You kind of have to Definitely. think,
1: i Oh, yeah. It's like, Wait yeah. till you get to 40, Joe. I mean, Ryan. <laughs> see? You see what happens when you turn 40? <laughs> you just call everybody by their last <laughs> just, name. Just Tony. Pick a name. Pick a name hey, Tony. Yeah, exactly.
3: Tony.
1: <laughs> All right, sorry. You and Sophie, third, you're 37. You know, my mom used to
0: be when I was growing up, date a nice Chinese girl. And I'm like, "Oh, I'm going to ask this this other one who's Filipino to the prom." I'm like, "No, no, 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 it's no, 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 no. a Chinese girl." And even even after I graduated college, I remember I was in Ireland and I kind of met the Spanish girl and we had kind of one of those one two month things you have when you're kind of abroad. And I, you know, later on, I told my mom about it. Oh yeah, there was a Spanish girl we had a, and she's like, "Oh, Ryan, that's the wrong kind of dark meat." I'm like, oh okay. wow! But <laughs> then, then she stopped, then she stopped giving a shit. Then I think she was just grateful that I had somebody. And I think the catalyst for that is her, my uncle, her brother had got dementia really, really young, younger than you normally would get it, and it was really, really bad. And her brother was a, was a bachelor, you know, he just, he didn't have anybody. And so everything kind of fell on my mom to take care of him, literally to get his house in order. And I mean that literally because he stopped flushing the toilet. There were bottles of like piss all over the place. I mean, you could see the guys, he would cook for himself, but then he just leave the food rotting on the counter. And you could see... We were trying to talk about something uplifting, I remember. We
1: were supposed to, yeah, talk about your relationship. And <laughs> this,
2: is, this is Ryan. Was, this is Ryan. He'll find the dark edge
1: yeah, and take you there. I was hoping you okay, said just... it. Then I met Sophie and she's so wonderful. And that's what inspired me to learn Korean. Like I was hoping to tie it back to something like that. So
0: Sophie did inspire me to learn Korean, but really quickly. So my uncle, said, you know, he, he lost <laughs> his mind. And, and my mom kind of was like, you need to have somebody else looking after you. So I don't care who it is. Just, you know, I, th- I think she probably just stopped caring you know, as long as I was happy, which is good. And so I met Sophie through a dating app. Because how else do you meet people these days? It was Coffee Meets Bagel for the record, which was started by a bunch of Korean American sisters, I believe. So it's like the ultimate Asian dating. No,
1: I didn't know that. Hmm.
0: Yeah, I believe so. I think they were on Shark Tank also. and uh, And then their app sort of expanded. And she was Korean Korean. You know, you're, I'm always wary of that because you're always, you're, is there going to be a language barrier? Is there going to be a cultural barrier? Oh, so
1: she's from Korea. She grew up in Korea.
0: She grew up in Seoul. Yeah. Okay. So, you know, initially you're kind of wary about that. But, you know, we we went on a date and, you know, normally you go on a date. For me, I go on a date and, you know, after the date's over, it's sort of like, well, that was nice to meet you. And mm-hmm. I'm kind of relieved to go home. You know, I kind of, it takes a lot of energy. I mean, online dating is what it's like you know, you're you're applying for jobs. You don't even know if you want. Yeah. So anyway, so, but for her, I wanted to hang out with her even more. So I suggested we just take a long walk. We were in Midtown. I just, we just walked all the way up to the Upper West Side, made a few pit stops along the way at various bars. Yeah. And so that was, that was great, and of course, yeah, I'm learning Korean because I've noticed her personality changes. It seems to change when she's talking Korean to her friends. Her English is very precise. You know, she's she's very you know, it's it's her second language, so she's making sure she gets a pronunciation and she, the wording is is right with Korean. Like sometimes I like when I try to learn Korean, I'll be I'll, I'll say a phrase really carefully, and I'll say, "Okay, so how do I say it?" And she'll just say it really fast. I'm like, "What the? fuck is that? That's not even the same thing." <laughs> and that's how she talks to her friends. And so I you know I notice a different personality. And you know you kind of feel like I'm missing out on a large part of who she is by not knowing the language. And I never will know the language I don't think well enough to be able to converse like she converses with her friends. But even if I can pick up if we end and I'm you know the most I can do is pick up 60% of it, even 50% of it, I'll consider that a victory.
1: Yeah. And I bet it means so much to her that you're making the effort to do this.
0: It's a respect thing, but Normally, I was kind of didn't want to do it. I was hesitant to do it because I don't know Chinese. And I'm like, well, I'm going to, I should learn Chinese first before I Yeah, traitor, I traitor. That's a, I, well, I realized that's, that's effing stupid because like, well, I mean, what am I going to do? I'm going to like sit there and study Mandarin Chinese for like five right. years before I even break I mean, it doesn't yeah. make any damn sense. So yeah. I just was like, all right, I'm just going to learn Korean. And actually, I took Mandarin Chinese in college and I, I sucked it up because I sucked it up as in I was very bad at it. You know, I didn't have anyone to, to practice with. And with Sophie, you know, I can I can kind of just go through everything, all the pronunciations. If I'm confused with something, I can just ask her straight up rather than have to crack open the workbook and be like, where is it? Or ask the teacher. And just, you know, that sort of accessibility to a native speaker makes learning the language that 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 much easier. And I didn't realize that. I mean, I should have known that intuitively, but I didn't realize that until recently. I love that. Yeah, that's uplifting. Yeah,
2: that is. Well, yeah, now that you finally gave us something uplifting. Thank you. I think it's time. For, for a
1: speed, yeah. round. Speed, speed Round. Speed Round.
2: Speed Round. Ryan, are you ready for the Speed Round?
1: I was born ready. We can tell. All right. All ready? Right. You already answered the first one, technically, so I'm going to skip that. Recommend a book or a movie with characters that you relate to.
2: Oh geez, this is supposed to be a speed round. it right, can't be a book because you read too many books. Oh, you know, so
1: not a movie. book. Recommend a movie.
0: Recommend a movie with characters that I relate to. Can I just recommend a movie? Sure. <laughs> okay, so my hoity-toity movie is Barry Lyndon, directed by Stanley Kubrick. I think people, a lot of people, think that's boring, but I think it's actually kind of a masterpiece. It's kind of amazing technically what he did with that movie. And then my Movie on the other end of the spectrum, as you might have guessed, is *Ravenous*, a cannibal vampire movie that takes place during the the Mexican American War, and it's both a comedy and a horror movie. And no one likes it, but I I recommend it. I can't say I relate. This
2: to is the one with characters. Guy Pearce. Like, this
0: is, yeah, this is Guy Pearce, Robert here? Carlyle. Yeah, Jeffrey Jones, who played the principal in Ferris Bueller's Day Off, and Neil McDonough, whose face you probably recognize because he's been in a lot of movies. But yeah, that one I think is
2: underrated. You recently sent me the trailer for it. Name of the movie again, one more time? Ravenous. Ravenous. So you sent me the trailer, or you sent me a link, and I was like, okay, let me me watch this trailer, and I watch it. And it looked like a mock trailer for a really serious movie, but it was the real trailer. (laughs) So, okay, the marketing department clearly had no idea how to
0: market this movie, and the production was really, really, really troublesome. They fired like one director midway through, they brought in another director. So I think that, that that production was literally like was a shit show. And I think when the marketing team got it, they're like, this is this a comedy? This is this a horror movie? Let's just try to put both in the trailer. But I really, really like that movie. I don't know why. Again, I only relate to those characters when I'm particularly hungry. But yeah, I, <laughs> that's a good I, transition I, to the next question.
1: What is your favorite mom dish?
0: Oh, that's easy. So my mom makes this soupy noodles with pork and pickled cabbage and soybeans. And that has always been my go to comfort food. It's amazing. And you know, it's, it's pretty simple to make. I know how to make it, but I can't make it like my mom. And then the pickled cabbage and soybean, you get it in a can. And I used to be able to find it relatively easy in Chinatown, but the last couple of times I've gone there, I don't know. It's like it disappeared. It's like it vanished. And I'm actually very concerned that they might have discontinued that product because I grew up eating that noodle. And if I can't get that cabbage and soybean you know, product, I'm well and truly fucked.
1: Uh-oh. And it came in a can? <laughs> I am trying
0: to... The pickled cabbage and the soybean. Look up pickled cabbage, soybean, and the brand is called Companion. It's a Chinese, it's a Chinese brand.
1: I'm sure you could buy it on Amazon.
0: Nope. I'll find it for you. Oh, no. You just right, okay. Yeah. I've done the e commerce thing. Got it. It, it ain't happening. All right. But, you know, if you want to look, I mean, two minds to this project. I'm all down for it, Sharon. I'm into you. I, I got, yeah, I I got you better.
2: It. I got you better. Challenge to all of our listeners go to your local Chinese grocery store and find what's it called? Companion.
0: The, the brand is Companion and it's pickled cabbage with soybean. It needs to have the soybean in it. They, I've found the pickled cabbage. It needs the soybean. Awesome. So, gotta have the soybean. A couple more. What's
2: your least favorite food?
0: I will literally eat anything. I mean, I don't really have a least favorite food. I mean, probably, oh, okay, you know, maybe, what is it, SpaghettiOs out of a can? Tastes like vomit to me. Haven't had it yeah. since, I was in, since I was in high school and I was hungry and it was the only thing in the pantry. We'll never have it again. <laughs> yeah.
2: You know, it's funny, the way I asked this next question is, if you had a podcast, but you do, what's the name of your podcast really quick? So
0: there's The Big Story, which is the roundtable I do with all my coworkers. We actually have one called Social yeah. Distancing with Friends, which is where we do one-on-ones with the different people to add to community about how the coronavirus has effed up their lives and their businesses. And then we have the one that you and I are doing, Roman, which doesn't really have a name. We should probably fix that.
2: I feel like we change the name every week. We do change the name yeah, I was trying to give you. No. So, okay. Here's the podcast question. If you had a podcast, and technically you do, but I don't think they fit this mold. Who would you want to interview on a podcast?
0: Who would I want to interview on a
2: podcast? Anybody. Living or dead.
0: Anybody living. Guillermo del Toro, the director. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Pans Labyrinth. Mm, Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. He's the first one that, yeah, that comes to mind. He seems really talk. The thing is, he seems really talkative and receptive, you know, because you can see like some people, they just don't have... They just don't like to talk that much or, you know, they kind of clam up. That's kind of a pain in the ass if you're an interviewer. But he's always, you know, really knowledgeable, really, really talkative. And I feel, you know, he, he learn a lot.
1: All right. Last question. What does being a model minority mean to you? Being a model minority? I was trying to figure that
0: out. You know, traditionally, we all know, all know what the traditional meaning of, of model minority is. And to me, it's actually, it is a term that kind of conveys submissiveness, Who
2: created the term model minority? Was it a white person? Yeah, when we were starting this podcast, I looked that up. And I don't know if this is accurate, because everything on the internet is not true. But I think the term came about in the 80s in a speech that Reagan gave. Reagan, And yeah, premise was kind of the good ones and the bad ones. It was kind of like this dog whistle sort of statement. And I didn't know that because fast forward into my life growing up in Alabama, whatever, I heard the term and I just assumed it was fine. Yeah, we are. And it's just kind of like this thing that was said that was wrong (laughs) that I adopted as something that was right. You know, That's it, right? I mean, it's a term meant to pit
0: different minorities against each other, right? Blacks versus Chinese slash Indians. And it's a term created by, as you said, Reagan. I don't think any Chinese person you know, they're the ones who are, you know, Asians are usually associated with the model minority. I don't think, you know, an Asian American created that term.
2: No, here's what's funny. I think first, every time we ask someone this question on the podcast, it's a much more positive flowery answer. So, I love your darkness, brother. But no, Chinese and Indian people are more racist. It's just like within China, like, come on, man, India, we invented the caste system. I'm not saying that they're not racist. I'm saying
0: that the term model minority was not was not coined by a Chinese American or an Asian American or an Indian American. See, I think coined. it could
2: be. I actually think it could be. I don't know who it was coined by, but I think very well could have been. I'm not saying it was, but it wouldn't put that past the okay. racism of Asians.
0: Either. I'm not saying that Asians are, you know, Asians can be the most racist or can be extremely racist. Black people can be extremely racist. Indians can be extremely racist. So I'm not saying that white people have a monopoly on racism. But I am saying that that term is meant to put different minority groups into a hierarchy. It's meant to categorize them. And that is objectionable to me. So that's where I stand on that.
2: (laughs) (laughs) I wish I could have ended on something happy and fun. What's the opportunity? So, what's the opportunity there then? I guess the opportunity around around what around the term "model minority" or yeah, the negativity of it. So, it it was built to separate us, to divide us. The same way you run at the problem with the crazy lady in the elevator, Ryan, with your kind of fun, twisted sense of humor. How do you run at that problem? That's a good question.
0: Yeah, that's an interesting question. I've never really thought about what to do with that term. I kind of feel that there needs to be a wholesale rejection of it. I'm sorry. I know you wanted to end on a positive note, and here, here we are. But honestly, <laughs> you're
2: saying kill, kill the podcast. The premise of your name is that.
0: <laughs> I mean, the term "model minority" again. What is it meant to do? Is meant to to put things into a, a hierarchy to pit one group against another, right? Hey, you know, bad minorities. You should be more like this group of minorities. It also kind of lumps all of the minorities in a certain group, the Asians, I guess, into this category of being really, you know, just just model citizens and kind of rejects the individuality that is inherent within it. So that's why, you know, Asians are the model minority. Well, there's a lot of different types of Asians. Chinese Americans, there's a lot of different types of those too. And you put everyone into that one bucket. And I know it's meant as praise, but it really kind of creates this strange expectation around that entire group, while at the same time, pitting them against other minorities. So that's why I say reject.
2: Yeah, yeah, I know. I hear the insidiousness of it. But I kind of treat it like the n word, you know, like, I'm never gonna say it. But black people have chosen to take the word back and run. With I
0: it. see what you're just okay. I see what you're saying. When you when you say treat it like
2: the n word. I thought it was like, well, it's not it's not that bad. No, it's not. It's not. But it's it's a more insidious, actually, to your point. It's not just a vulgar term. So I don't think the term's vulgar at all. The
0: N-word is incredibly is incredibly vulgar. Right. But, but model minority is insidious because it's designed to look positive, but I don't think it is. So it's actually kind of like not vulgar at all.
2: Oh, so by tricking Ruman the Indian boy to say it, uh-huh. he's now, oh man, we got to rename the podcast. I'm Ruman. I'm Ryan. I'm the <laughs> model. Ma- well.
0: No, you don't. I mean, you're addressing the issue, right? And that's the important thing.
2: You know, it's that's not like this, it. it's I not like you're, yeah, exactly. You address it. You address it Ryan, straight I think on. We, we, I think we solved, we solved racism. We can end the podcast. Go. Okay, so, this, <laughs> so we solved
0: racism. Honestly, the best way to do it, just everyone stay inside. No one ever leave.
2: Yeah. Well, Ryan, of all the people to talk to on a day that I'm stuck inside, I'm glad you're one of the people I get to talk to. So thanks for joining the podcast. Well, thank you, Roman. And thank you, Sharon. And that's our show.
1: Like what you heard? Please subscribe and rate us on your favorite podcasting platform. For more about this episode, links to things mentioned, or to join the conversation, visit modmypod.com. We'd love to hear from you.
2: Now, here's a preview of our next episode.
1: And nowadays, people want to see people who look like regular people. Hmm. Well, that's really awesome. I look like a regular person, but... Sometimes people perceive you because you've played certain roles of not looking like, a, you know, like I tend to always be put in very tight dresses and I was glammed up and because it's, I'm ethnic fun. Mm. And, you know, then that stops you from being seen as the woman who walks in and can have a breakdown or, you know, the mom of a teenage kid. That's it for now. I've been Roman Segal. And I'm still Sharon Lee Tony.
2: Remember, We're all auto minorities out there.
1: We'll talk to you soon.
3: It's happening daily. We're being conned by the institutions we used to trust. The mainstream media is distracting us with meaningless headlines instead of focusing on the harsh realities facing American families. Time is short before something big happens, and that's why so many folks are preparing.